Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's game day, baby. Flames take on the Canucks tonight, the first of a four-game series between Calgary and Vancouver. We will have all four of them here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. That's kind of how we do things. 7 o'clock warm-up, 8 o'clock puck drop for you this evening. A very important series for the home side, for the Canucks, um, as... It's gone off the rails very quickly in Vancouver. We'll have more of a breakdown on that as the show rolls along. More of your texts at 960-960. Let's get into it with the color voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Labardius. Flames insider, Peter Labardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Good afternoon, Mr. Labardius. How are you today, sir? Speechless, I know. Um, we have a, a phone issue with uh, Peter Labardia, so we will get to him in a matter of moments, as this is a very important game for the, the Vancouver Canucks, and I think that's going to be kind of the theme of the day. Important for the Flames, too, as they look to build off of uh, a couple of games where they've played pretty well and see if they can move up in the standings. As it sits right now, Calgary fifth in points, but everyone's played a bunch of different amounts of games, so uh, points percentage the Flames do squeak in to that four spot we have reconnected and now welcome in the color voice of the flames peter labardius mr labardius how are you this afternoon i'm good i think my uh phone just froze up i think okay. it just froze up okay well look no, we're, the, we're all the, good we're all good in these big moments sometimes uh, equipment freezes and sometimes it just got has to power through so we'll, we'll hope that it does um powering through is something the canucks have struggled with so far this season and this one feels like an important trip for uh, an important um series i guess for them and because of that i feel like it's an important trip for the flames as you have a chance to really demoralize the division rival you do indeed this is not you know, do or die series for the Vancouver Canucks. But um, let's just say the Calgary Flames won three of the four games upcoming between the two teams. That would, A, really pave the way for the Flames in terms of leaving the Canucks in a very, very desperate situation the rest of the way. So that's how I look at it. It's desperation versus opportunity, and the Flames coming off a complete game, arguably their best game of the entire season, they do have an opportunity, albeit understanding how desperate the opponent is going to be. And for uh, a couple of Flames in particular, obviously a, a familiar foe and maybe not leaving on the best of terms as the, the term we've or we just ran out of time has been thrown out when discussing those particular players. Uh, th this is a chance for Markstrom to continue kind of a dominance against his former team. Well, Jacob Markstrom has been superb for the Calgary Flames. They made the big commitment. Look no farther than what he was able to do, Peter, in the first two games of this series between the two stopped 57 of 59 recorded a shutout in his first game against his old team on January 16th and a 1.00 goals against average and a 966 save percentage. Jim Benning 
had a very, very difficult decision to make. When you think about expansion, when you think about a long-term commitment, and when you think about what he watched Thatcher Demko do in the last three games of that series against the Vegas Golden Knights in the summer. Um, You know, it's always easy to sit back in our armchairs and go, well, why did you do that? Well, you know, you can see it from one side of the fence, but you also have to think about the puzzle piece of your team and the business becomes hard, Peter, because you have to make very, very difficult decisions at key times. And that's not to say that I truly think the Vancouver Canucks absolutely erred. To me, the Jacob Markstrom story is more about what the Calgary Flames were able to do. And we've talked about adding a foundation piece and stabilizing a position and giving your group something that it hasn't necessarily had for quite some time. So as much as it's, if you're on the Vancouver side right now, you're you're seeing, how do we let this guy go? How do we let this guy go? How do we let this guy go? But I see it more from what the Flames were able to achieve and can understand why the decision was hard on the other side. It will be, I think, a little different for Jacob tonight. It's one thing to play against your old team in your new residence. It's another thing to go back. No fans, different. Yes, everything now is more of a business trip, which I'm going to get into on potentially why that has played a key role in a tough start for the Flames opponent. But here's... Jacob Markstrom in preparation and excitement for tonight. It's going to be fun for sure. And, uh, you know, a little special, but, you know, I, I feel like the, uh, you know, the, fir- the first game we played here was, uh, you know, uh, I think that the weirdest one is going to be tough to beat that. So now we're uh, a bit into the season and, uh, and, you know, you get used to the game and, you know, being here and playing, playing for the Flames. So it's, uh, uh, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to Go back to Vancouver. And you'll wonder, obviously, they're still going to do a video presentation for him. There's still a lot of the familiar hallways and familiar tunnel and all of that stuff. You wonder how different it is for for those guys with there being no fans in the stands tonight. Like, it's still going to be emotional, but I wonder if that tones down a little bit with nobody in the building tonight. Well, Peter, probably tones down because he didn't have the same kind of opportunity. And what I mean by that, he's not going out for dinner last night with his old teammates. He's not hooking up with, when you spend that amount of time in a city, it's not just about your teammates. You're going to have other relationships. You're going to make other friendships. You're, you're going to become close to other people, but because of COVID that doesn't give you you know, the opportunity to necessarily go back and hang out and reflect. So, like I said, you know, for both Tanev and Markstrom, this this is a business trip. I do think it will be a little different. It, it always is. And, and we'll see how big a factor, if, if at all, it plays in the game tonight. Uh, as mentioned, Markstrom not the only def- uh, not the only player who is making his return to Vancouver. Is Chris Tanev, who's been there a lot longer than Markstrom was, is, is making his return. And while they are missing Markstrom, I think greatly between the pipes, they're really missing Chris Tanev on that blue line right now in Vancouver. 
Well, they're missing Chris Tanev, absolutely. And when I think about Vancouver and what they were able to do last season and what they were able to do in the bubble, Chris Tanev in many ways had his hands all over that. And you wouldn't want to start without mentioning what his partnership with Quinn Hughes allowed the Canucks to do and allowed the Canucks to get out of their highly, highly skilled now number one defenseman. And I just, as we've seen, haven't we this year with Noah Hannafin, this player just makes other people better around him all the time. But look at the Canucks on defense too. So here's, here's a factor. Travis Hamannick, by the way, is skating. I don't know if he plays tonight, but Peter, in the playoffs, their defense, talking about the Canucks, was Edler and Myers, it was Hughes and Tanev, and it was Stetcher and Fantenberg. And I liken that, frankly, in some ways, to the group of six that we're watching with the Calgary Flames. You have an ability to play everybody in all situations, even the pairing of Valimaki and Nestrov are usually in that 16-minute window. Well, two factors. You lose a foundation piece in Tanev. You lose in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 minutes. You replace him in part with Nate Schmidt, and that's a good fit. They made a long-term commitment. But Hamannick has only played in five games, Peter, and was averaging 18 minutes a game. That leaves a gigantic hole, not to mention that while, you know, Oscar Fantenberg, a former Flame at one point, and Troy Stetcher might not be the sexiest guys on the planet, that was a good group for this team. And while they even gave up a lot of shots in the playoffs, you take a look at where things have trended this year, they're giving up way more high-quality opportunities. And when you think about Quinn Hughes tonight potentially playing with Jordy Ben, and I like Jordy Ben, you know, he's a steady Eddie type, but then what happens in that case is if Jordy Ben's minutes, Peter, need to be in that 18 to 20 range, which obviously Hughes is going to be in, can you handle the minutes? So Vancouver, because of injury, has had to use a lot of defensemen. They haven't necessarily, haven't used it for a few days, slotted the way they want. Hamannick being in makes a huge difference when he can get back in the lineup for all the different reasons and all the reasons that we saw. And then let's add one more big issue for the Vancouver Canucks. They have played 16 games already against quality, quality opponents. Mr. Klein, you don't think those aren't hard, hard minutes on the guys right now in that top four that are seeing, you know, 22 and more than 20 minutes a game? That's a lot to ask in a very short time with a team that's not going very well, and it feels like every night is the end of the world. And I think that's why, from a Flames perspective tonight, those things that we talk about, wanting to see the good forecheck, wanting to see that energy, that urgency that we saw from a couple of nights ago, I think that's why it's even more important tonight 
<laughs> this is going to sound a little bit, I guess, crass, but just don't give this Canucks team hope. Don't don't let them back in it. This is a team that, um, like you said, that they've faced some tough opponents and it has not gone well. Confidence isn't high right now. Don't just take that away right from the start. And it feels like it could be a good night for Calgary if that happens. Do you realize that the Canucks, this is the first time they've had two days in between games all season? Jeez. Ooh. That's they've not played, good. They've played 16. Think about the narrative and how things have gone in Vancouver. And we've already talked about the defensive core and the change in goalie and some of the losses. So, Tyler Toffoli, he has 80 goals against the Vancouver Canucks. That becomes a massive storyline. Markstrom has played great against them. Tanev has played great against them. Um you know, they're having a tough time keeping pucks out of their own net. Their top line has struggled, especially defensively. You are in not a bubble, but you're as close to being in a bubble right now. And the daily narrative in Vancouver is all about what? What we've lost, what we've lost, what we've lost, what we've lost. And it has just been absolutely pounded home because outside of games against Ottawa, which they did very well in, and Winnipeg, who they've played very well against, not only are you losing, but people that used to be in your lineup are making a massive difference on the other side. You know what this team needs? This team needs to breathe. They're not having any fun. And when I don't care what you do for a living, when it's gone from Stanley Cup, oh, my goodness, we were within one game of the Final Four, to we're playing every night and we're sitting in our hotel room and we don't have a lot of diversion. There's nowhere for our minds really to go. You think they're spending a lot of time thinking about good stuff over there right now or bad stuff? So let's let's – you know, and the other part that I'm getting a little tired of is, is let's stop talking about Travis Green. Travis Green's a heck of a coach. He's a heck of a coach, and he has done great things over the last few years. But this guy's in a card game. There are not a lot of aces to be played with right now for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, he's always the first guy to step up, understands what happens, and trust me, Travis Green and the Vancouver Canucks understand that their season might be not on the line in these next four, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like such a massive series for, for Vancouver. As we chat with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Hockey Central at noon, these two teams have met before this season uh, a couple of times. Uh, you noticed uh, an edge that the Flames had in one area when these two teams met earlier this year. Special teams. They had lots of edges. But special teams, we've talked about the goaltending. They, needless to say, had a big edge there. How about the power play and penalty killing numbers in the two meetings? In those two games, the Calgary Flames were 5 for 13 on the power play. And Vancouver has had a tough time penalty killing. Well, within reason. You know, they're middle of the pack in the league, but had a very difficult time as the Flames had 
three power play goals in one game and two in the other. And the other part is how the Flames have not allowed, Peter, a single power play goal in eight chances against to the Vancouver Canucks. And the penalty kill, remember, when the Flames went 2-0-1 and and even in some other games, was truly helping the Flames win games. Right now, the penalty kill, and I'm going to have an opportunity to ask Jeff Ward about it today, coming up for our coaches show tonight on Flames warm-up. It's, it's not fallen off in a big way. It just isn't at the level that we have seen a little bit earlier in the season. So the Flames absolutely dominated in the special teams area in the first two meetings of these teams. And now looking at it tonight, uh, when we look at these teams kind of stack up, we're always looking for matchups. Is there a matchup that, that you are looking at when we watch these two teams face off tonight? Yeah, there is. There's one potential matchup and one Flames player that I'm really interested in in particular. Now, again, we'll see how the game plays out. Jeff Ward, for good reason, feeling very good about his club. We, we've talked about the way Michael Backlund and his line have played. They've really been a key, key trio to why the Flames have won their last two hockey games. Gives you some matchup advantages. Peter, when I look at tonight, I won't be surprised when I think about Travis Green. Will he look tonight to have, what do they call it there, the lotto line? Pedersen, Miller, and Besser. Will Travis Green want to go head-to-head when he can get it with the Monaghan line? That is probably the matchup that I'm anticipating over tonight's game for sure um whether you know travis is going to be able to get it jeff will feel comfortable in it and then the one flame in particular i think and i've spoken about it a lot i think sean monahan has taken massive strides in his 200 foot game right now peter he doesn't look as confident and comfortable with the hockey puck on his stick he, he, the details, the defensive details, the battle level, all good. All good. But he hasn't scored a goal in eight games. And, you know, even when I take a look at Sean in terms of shots, he has four shots on goal in the last four games. So Sean, for me, is a bit of a focal point. That line, especially if they see a lot of time tonight, against the Pedersen group that, you know, really obviously drove the bus for them, you know, in the bubble. Pedersen has really struggled. We saw his frustration earlier in the year. They're starting they're starting to get to get get together in a better way. They're not keeping enough pucks out of their net either. There's a lot of big minuses and that, of course, is not all on the forwards. That has a lot to do with how you defend as a group of five. But that's a matchup tonight if you're looking for one key one, and there's always lots of great ones, and it may not happen. It, it may play itself out that way, but that's one that I'll be watching out for tonight. 
That Monaghan note is interesting because uh, I think of that as a group that's been going well. And I guess there's just so much focus for me specifically on number 13 that when it feels like he's going better, it's okay. Well, the rest of the line is that going, but just thinking back to it, it's like, yeah, there haven't been a ton of nights where in the offensive end, you've noticed a lot of Monaghan's game. So I hadn't really put those together, but that would be, uh, I guess, another step in getting that line going tonight. And and it's not that it's not that Sean is played poorly at all. Not not one right. iota. Um, I like the details in his game, and it Johnny and now Sam I think have benefited in a lot of different ways because of Sean's ability to defend and win battles. Um, you know some of his work on the power play, but when you go on the road and you don't have control of the matchup. Um, you know, that's, that's a place potentially where I see the game going and, and it's, I just, you know, didn't we see such a massive difference in, in Michael Backlund on Saturday when, you know, he got his swagger back. I mean, he used that word. That's Mm -hmm. why I continue to use it. Sean is playing well right now. And tonight it, you know, if that matchup that I talked about, Peter, does happen, yeah, you better dig in defensively. That's going to be really, really important for that trio as a whole. But I, I think Sean could really use a goal right now. Could just, just for his whole overall, how he carries himself, his overall game, it just with the puck on his stick. Without it, great, just fine, absolutely fine. And really important. And it's the area where he's made the biggest strides. He could use one. He could use one right about now. And we will see if he gets it tonight. Again, warm-up is at 7. Puck drop is at 8. Lou, looking forward to the call tonight. Looking forward to chatting all about it tomorrow. Okay, have a great one. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. It is Thursday, which means tomorrow's Friday, which means tomorrow it's another edition of Lou's Mail Bay. You can send your questions in, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tune in Fridays at noon to see if your question's answered. If it is, you're getting 100 bucks to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Calgary's best steakhouse located in the heart of downtown. Looking forward to celebrating with you again soon. Go Flames, go. It is a 7 o'clock warm-up tonight. 8 o'clock puck drop. It's the Flames and the Canucks. A lot of problems out in Vancouver right now. Kevin Woodley gets more in-depth on that coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. The goaltending position is going to be in the spotlight tonight as the Canucks take on the Calgary Flames. It is a 7 o'clock warm-up, 8 o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Our goalie expert, Kevin Woodley, joined Pinder today to discuss the matchup and also what has gone wrong in Vancouver to start the season. Let's get right to it. No dancing around. Our Thursday regular is Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and of NHL.com covering all things Canucks. Uh, beyond the goaltending beat. Uh, Mr. Woodley, tell me it's minus 30 and you're miserable in Vancouver too. 
come on, minus 30 in Vancouver. I was going to chirp you and say I was out golfing, but we got a cold. We did get a little cold snap here. I think it got to minus 10 overnight, so Ooh, there's wow. probably chaos on the, in the streets, people panicking. Um, that is A little wind chill and things like that yesterday. Yeah. Like, anytime it's even below zero, people freak out around here. So, um, Shangri-La, baby, it's, uh, it's not a bad place to live. Yeah, all you need is about $3 million for a knockdown house. It's great, hey? Or you'd be like me, you say, you say you're calling Kevin from Vancouver, but the reality is I'm an hour and a half south of Vancouver. Nobody lives in Vancouver. Come on. Right. Yeah, that's, it's that's the suburbs. Right. Yes, that's right. But it's still nice. Uh, it is a lovely city. Uh, its hockey team is never boring, and the fan base has been sharpening pitchforks and getting Molotov cocktails prepared for uh, what uh, better be a good four-game set against the Flames or else, I suppose, would be the tenure and take, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really is. And actually, we heard that from the players yesterday. Um, you know, Bo Horvat, pretty open. Um, this is make or break time. They, you know, they've lost five in a row. Uh, it's pretty clear they're not competitive against Montreal and Toronto, all five of those games. Um, and so, you know, for this team to dig out of the hole that it's created early this season means you have to beat the teams that you're going to be competing with potentially for that, that, that fourth spot, uh, you know, in the playoffs out of the north. And that's. You know, Calgary's probably, they see them as, uh, to me, they're, they're sort of a step above. They're probably in, they end up in that, you know, I'd position them in that three hole. Um, and it's probably more the Edmontons and, and, and the Winnipegs is the competition. But at this point, they've got no margin for error. And, you know, it is, it is interesting. They've played 16 games. They played those 16 in the first 27 days of the season. It's not like anybody's had an easy schedule. But you can make a fair argument, and Travis Green made it pretty passionately yesterday, that the schedule has been a big part of the problem here. These past two days, um, Tuesday and Wednesday, were the first consecutive days without games for the Vancouver Canucks since the season started on, on January 13th. Hmm. They have not had two days without games until this, and they're the only yeah. team that sort of fits that mold. So you add to the fact that they're, they've got three new pairings on defense, they've, they've got a new goaltender in Holtby trying to get used to things, um, you know, there's just been, you know, shortened, shortened, no preseason, shortened training camp, and, and just no practice times. Like, it's just a lot of things coming together. And the reality is they're not as good having lost Chris Tanev, having lost Jacob Markstrom. Troy Stetcher gets overlooked in this conversation, although not so much anymore the way things are going defensively. Uh, and Tyler, Tyler Toffoli, like, yeah. this has been as bad as you could envision it, just both in terms of the actual results and in terms of the optics for this management team and, and for how this fan base feels about this group's chances right now. So who is under the most fire, or are we more looking at the meme of the dog sipping coffee buried in flames, that, that everyone's engulfed in it right now? No, I don't think it. Like, well, I would say that it's pretty clear to me that the, the person under the most pressure is probably Jim Benning. The general manager, and I do, but I don't know that he can do anything at this point. Right. And I think it's fair to point out that above him there are issues as well. And I'm talking yes. about, you know, the mandate from ownership to not spend money. And you know, it's not just that they they let those guys walk. And listen, there are a lot of people in this market that were saying, hey, like Jacob Markstrom, as much as as much as I know internally, they believed he could be this guy till 35 at least. Um, and they know how valuable he was. 
there are also a lot of people that said, hey, but but not six over 36, right? Um, yeah. Chris yeah. Tanev, we've heard some reports about just how disrespected he felt about how it was handled, like no calls, no contact, sort of left to sort of hang in the wind. We'll get back to you after we figure everything else out. Um, but at the same time, the contract he ended up getting, there are a lot of people in this market that are like, yeah, you're, you, you, you know, they could regret that in a couple of years, um, you know, because health has been an issue for him up until last season. But now, like, the impact he had, and I think it's just, it's not just on the ice, Ryan, it's off the ice. Um, you know, there's something that just sort of feels off about this team, and it's hard to quantify when you're not in the room ha- able to have yeah. those little side conversations like you normally do with guys about what's really going on. But, you know, they lost a lot of leadership. Markstrom was a leader as a goaltender um, for this team. Uh, Chris Tanev, you know, was a, was like a dad to a lot of the young players. Troy Stetcher was really tight with, um, you know, Elias Pettersson. That's that's who he spent most of his summer when Pettersson stayed here in Vancouver. That's who he hung with. Uh, and then and then and then you, um, you you just add all those together. Like something's missing, sort of in the room. It feels as well as on the ice. And yeah, so there is a lot of pressure probably on the general manager. And yet, for all those reasons, like. They shed $20 million in actual salary this year. Like, not on the cap, but actual salary. Like, all the decisions seem to be made with the bottom line in order um, mm-hmm. and a lack of willingness to spend more money to get themselves out of, hey, some of their own self-created problems in terms of the cap. And I think that that's come home to roost a little bit here as well. And, and at the same time, it screams to me that for all the anger and talk of, you know, fire Benning hashtags trending and, and the pressure on Jim Benning, there's nothing about the way this organization has acted, including the fact their head coach doesn't have a contract extension and neither does their goalie coach. There's nothing about the way they're behaving financially that says, yeah, they're going to fire somebody and pay two people to do the job. Yeah. Well, they tried that it with Tortorella. Like I don't think that was me. fun, right? Yeah. This smells like off season to me if there are going to be big moves made here. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, one last one on on Vancouver, and then we'll we'll dig in on more goalie specific questions. But I don't want to ignore that you you've been on this beat for many years, and and definitely on when the first of four in a row between the Flames and Canucks, it's probably not a bad use of your time and thoughts here. How has Nate Schmidt been since um, arriving in Vancouver, and what were you expecting to get when you uh, saw him, the player in Vegas? He's never been a big point producer, but but was talked about very highly amongst the Vegas Golden Knights, and yet I don't know that he's had the same sort of impact in Vancouver yet. Well, it, it's been tough to gauge. If you look at the underlying numbers, they're pretty good, actually. Um, for a team that's you know, bleeding chances in its own end, he's not a big part of that problem. As a matter of fact, he's been one of their better players in that regard. The The, the problem, the perception is that he was this, you know, jump up into the rush, active offensive defenseman. Let's be honest. There's an element of that style and that ability in his game. But as you said, not a, never a, like he's not Shea Theodore, right? And the other thing about number one defensemen that put up points is they always do a lot of it on the power play. And so if that was the expectation coming in, it probably should have been tempered because he was never going to be a first power play unit guy yeah. with Quinn Hughes here. He was always going to be a second unit guy, and they've got a first unit that takes up a lot of the two minutes every time they've got a man advantage. So that needed to be tempered. He's actually been pretty good five at five, five on five, sorry. The, the question, and it was a fair question that was kind of asked coming in, is where did he fit, and how did these pairings shake out? And part of that issue is he's a left shot, 
and you've got a head coach that likes to play guys on their strong sides defensively, but he has traditionally played the right side. And so he has been asked to play with a number of different partners. He's played the right side. He's played the left side. And, again, the underlying numbers aren't, are actually pretty flattering to him. So I don't think he's been part of the problem. Um, but it is interesting that you add such a strong personality to a locker room that I, I just said has, is missing some former parts. Um, you know, so I imagine there'd be a fit-in process there. And I just, I just, I'm not sure they found him the right partner. Uh, they've just jumbled things around. Uh, Jordy Ben's now playing the right side, which, I mean, Jordy Ben, when they signed him out of Montreal, everyone you talk to in Montreal, not just fans, and, or sorry, not just media and observers, but like, like hockey people out of Montreal said Jordy Ben's better on his right side. Signed him for two years, $4 million in the whole first year. Like you almost never played him on his right side because the coach has a preference to have guys on their strong side. So adding Nate Schmidt, knowing that was going to be part of the conundrum here, um, you know, again, probably should have tempered some of those expectations. But when you pull back and look at his overall performance, he's not the problem except if your expectations were sort of, you know, point machine, like the you know, point-getting machine off the back end, driving play, creating, creating offense. He hasn't been bad in that regard, but, but the bottom line hasn't been there for him. And, you know, part of that is matchups. Part of that is finding the right mix amongst uh, three new pairings. And it's kind of all gone against him that way. And yet he probably hasn't been a big part of the focal point here in terms of the struggles. And that's probably fair because he hasn't been the problem. How should the Flames utilize their netminders in this four-game set against the Canucks, knowing that uh, you don't want to burn out Markstrom, that he has been excellent against his old team, that he'll want to play a bunch, but also that you've hardly allowed David Riddick to play the sport he's being paid to play in the last 11 months? And that's, that's the balance, right? It's not just... It's going to be tempting, and you know Jacob Markstrom is going to want to get rolled out there for all four. I, like you just, he is such a competitive guy um, that you know, you almost know. Like you never want to say you know, but you just know that's going to be his preference. But you have to remember, it's not just about him and him getting him rolling and keeping him rolling. It's about not losing David Riddick. And so you know, I, I don't know that I have the answer in terms of how you should handle it. But I would certainly be hesitant to – and so when was the last time that David Riddick played? And I apologize, I don't have that right in front of me. How long he have we been already? He played in Winnipeg again and allowed that four-board goal that was the only bad goal. It was, was the second game one, yeah. of the year. And uh, he shut the door the final 40 minutes. But it's only his second start. Yeah, then so to go another, you know, another four games – over a week without giving him a chance, you, you think yeah. they'd want to work him into one of these, even though it's every second night and Markstrom could probably run the gamut. You have to start looking big picture here. And big picture here is when you need to rest Jacob Markstrom, you need to make sure that you haven't lost David Riddick. And so I would probably try and find him one of these four for sure, even though the temptation, if Markstrom gets rolling, is going to be um, to just stick with him. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think results will will dictate that. I mean, the one thing I used to remember here in Vancouver, and, and Markstrom's gotten past the point now where this is an issue for him, but they were never hesitant in the early goings of his transformation into the guy you see now. Um, even last year at the beginning of the season, when you saw things in his game were starting to slip, 
little details, hitting the post on 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 a reverse VH or in in a transition uh, double seal when the play is behind the net. Um, getting up and, and, and beating plays to the top of the crease off his post. When the details started to slip, he's a workhorse. They gave him days off. Even if they knew the chances of winning were not great, especially two years ago with Anders Nilsson, who was going through a tough time in, in terms of wins and losses at the time, they would go to Nilsson for a game, sometimes even two, to give Jacob that time. So if you're the goalie coach and you see any signs of that slippage, that's when you give him a day off give Riddich a start, and let Jacob do the work that he still, he doesn't need it anymore like he used to to sort of have those resets because he, all these elements of his game has be, have become sort of instinctual and, and really drilled down. They don't, there's not as much slippage if he doesn't have that time as there used to be. But if you see any signs of it, give him that time because he does thrive on that work. And, 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 and in the process, make sure you're not losing David Riddich as part of this conversation because you will eventually need him. The schedule will get tougher. Yeah. Um, what has the history been in the last two, three years when they've really started to ride Markstrom of his durability and his injuries? Because if I recall, right around the time of the of the season pause last March, he was dealing with something, and that could have been catastrophic to Vancouver's playoff chances, albeit in good spot, but potentially without Markstrom for a while. That didn't matter. The season was shut down until the bubbles went late summer, right? Yeah, he was He was out. He I think at that point Demko had started four or five in a row, um, and Jacob was about a week from coming back. He'd actually just gotten back on the ice when the season shut down, um, you know, because of, because of a knee issue. Um, You know, it's one of those things where like he'll play, he'll play hurt. Like, like there's like, this isn't, this isn't anti-ranta. And I don't mean to cast this. That's going to come out. Actually, I said that poorly uh, because it casts aspersions on him, but there are some guys where when they feel something, they're not playing. You know, like Jacob played that pretty much that whole playoff bubble. The injury that eventually took him out against Vegas was sustained early in the playoff bubble in practice, and he played through it the whole time. So he's a guy where you have to monitor him because he's, he's going to battle through things and through small things, but, you know, if you, if you let it, eventually you can't play through it. And sort of that's been the MO. He is a guy who will play through things, and you admire that. Because a big part of ability is availability, especially as a number one goaltender. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a quality you have to have to do the job the way he does it. Um, but, yeah, you, you have to monitor it, and you have to – he plays. You've seen it, right? Like, you've seen the, the dynamic, extended, explosive saves. That's part of who he is. You never want to lose that. But it puts a lot of toll on the body. You're opening up. You're pulling things apart. Like, it puts a lot of stress on the lower body. So, again, like, they'd have sports science people that are watching this and I'm assuming watching heart rates and practice and all those elements. Um, If you see signs of a small tweak or something like that, then, yeah, you you need to find ways to rest him. But he's not a guy that, like, if he comes out for a week or ten days, you know it's a legitimate injury. Um, and so I don't know how you find that balance because those injuries tend to be from one-off situations, a save that put him in an awkward spot, <laughs> a net that isn't drilled properly in a playoff bubble during the practice, like brutal NHL. Um, the net pops off because they didn't actually have proper pegs at the practice rink in Edmonton, things like that, mm-hmm. as opposed to just wearing him down. So I, I don't know that you make rest decisions based on on injury type situations i don't know you can can run things that way um but it's on him to be honest if he feels worn down if you feel fatigued 
that's when your muscles are more likely to, you know, give out. You're more likely to put yourself in a situation because of lack of mental sharpness where you need that extra extended save, whereas if you're on top of your game, you don't. But other than that, it's kind of hard to say, yeah, well, he might get injured because he's played a whole bunch. That could happen on the first game of, you know, when he hasn't played a whole bunch. It doesn't, it's not really a, a wear and tear thing. Uh, very quickly, because we're out of time, just a thought on uh, Demko and Holby. Is this just a back and forth until someone allows less than three on a regular basis? It is. Um, I really do think uh, that you know, I, my hunch is you'll see Demko tonight and based on performance. And yet I was really surprised that they ran Braden Holby. Surprised and not surprised. Essentially, the explanation was for giving Braden Holby back-to-back was was sort of reward for the fire he showed and the leadership he showed, essentially calling J.T. Miller out um, for a lack of hustle on the back check, which has been a problem for this team all season, frankly, um, and J.T. Miller, you know, number glaring examples. Um, and they gave him back-to-back starts based on that, less so based on performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, on the whole, Demko's been better, and so I'm, I'm expecting Thatcher Demko tonight, and yet you know, probably not a good sign that you're going to intangibles is the reason you're starting a goaltender 16 games into the season, but they've already gone there once. Probably also not a good sign. We started this conversation talking about where this team is at and salary cap and who the pressure is on. Probably also not a good sign that most of your salary cap problems are because you overspent on bottom-end guys who have quote-unquote character and leadership, and your goaltender who's, you know, two months into his career with your team is the one actually showing enough leadership to get a start. Uh, rather than having that start based just purely on performance. So interesting times here, weird times. I wouldn't expect one guy to get a bulk of games unless we get like Demko did a couple weeks ago, just gets on like one of those 970 tears, um, and they will keep giving him the net. They're at a point now, though, where if one guy does have a game like that, Ryan, I would expect them fully to go back to him because the margin for error is gone and the kid gloves are off. If you get a guy hot, they're going to ride him as long as they can. Great chatting. We'll do it again next week. Okay, thanks. Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine, NHL.com, covering all things Canuck. So there's that conversation with Pinder from earlier today. Uh, we are getting some more lineup information about tonight's matchup between the Flames and the Canucks. We will share that with you coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Getting you ready for Flames Canucks tonight. This is Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 960. I'm Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, our producer today. Uh, I mentioned before we're getting a a few lineup notes coming in as a bit of a later media availability today with it being a later start tonight, 8 o'clock. Uh, but because they're out on the West Coast, it will be Thatcher Demko in goal for Vancouver this evening, while Hamannick, uh has started to skate again, but is not an option for the Canucks on their blue line tonight. So uh, a defensive group that has had some struggles this season will not be getting Travis Hamannick back in the lineup. As we mentioned with Lou at the top of the show, he's only got into five games this year. As far as the goalies are concerned, Demko and Holpe have each got into eight games this year. Holpe's goals against average is 375. Markstrom is at 381 the save percentage 885 for Holtby 897 for Demko so not a lot separating either of them so far as uh, this season has gone on we will be seeing Thatcher Demko between the pipes and we are all assuming it'll be Jake Markstrom 
for the Flames. That's going to do it for Hockey Central at noon today. If you missed our chat with Peter Labardius, it is up on the website, sportsnet.ca slash 960. I did the show from home. Logan is at the Iconic Studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Diversity, it's iconic. Contact them today at iconicec.ca. We continue to get you ready for Flames, Canucks, and why this is so important for the opposition for Calgary. We'll get into all of that as the hour goes along here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Thank <laughs> you.